Welcome to Disclosure, brought to you by The Voice of Prophecy. I'm Jean Boonstra, and I am your host for today's program. And my guest is Sean Boonstra, who is no stranger to you listening. He is the regular host of Disclosure. Sean, we're here in our studios in Loveland, Colorado. Yep. And we're going to have a little fun today, answering some Bible questions. Okay, good. We're allowed to have fun. I always think, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, that when you are... um, when you're announcing the show brought to you by VOP, it sounds to me a little bit like a Sesame Street episode. Today's episode of Disclosure is brought to you by the letters V, O, and P. We just need a number, but if we make the O a zero, today's episode We're is brought covered. to you by the letter by the number zero and uh, the, the numbers V, v and P. <laughs> yeah, but it's Disclosure. Voice of Prophecy, of course, is an, is an ancient ancient radio show it's almost as old as religious broadcasting is itself 1929 went on the air Mm -hmm. um i wasn't there in 1929 i knew you were there for the first broadcast gene but i i was born many years later many many years later many many Mm -hmm. years later Mm -hmm. but here we are voice of prophecy is now sort of a um a christian network and disclosure is one of the shows that it it offers i like disclosure um I used to do a program by that name somewhere else once upon a time, and I like it. Mm-hmm. And I'll let the viewers in on a little secret. One of my favorite topics is Bible prophecy, and the word disclosure is kind of a synonym for the word revelation. And, true. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also going to find that God is interested in disclosure. In the Bible, he's not trying to keep things secret. He's trying to share information. And so there's a massive disclosure of the heart and mind of God in the uh, in the Bible. So. Yeah. Yeah, very true. That's why it's called Disclosure. Disclosure, a little bit of backstory to why this program, which is the flagship program of the Voice of Prophecy Ministry, why you chose the name Disclosure for this program. Yeah, absolutely. Good fit. Well, we are going to be answering some questions today, and these questions have come in in recent years at live events, Sean, that you have yeah. held. Um, these seminars are called Revelation Speaks Peace. You have hosted them, oh, in different cities across North America and Europe and other places in the world. It's a public seminar that I've done for, what, more than 20 years now. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I've been doing anything for, you know, I guess I'm going into the third decade of that, or I'm I'm halfway through the third decade of doing that. But that seminar covers all the major themes of Bible prophecy, and we've put that on all over the planet. I think on six out of seven continents now. We just Mm -hmm. haven't done it in Antarctica. And what I've noticed over the years as I do that, I always put a question box out in the lobby. And uh, people put their questions in there. And I've noticed 20-some years later that the same questions keep coming in. 90% of them are the same, regardless of where you are. It doesn't matter what the culture is. It doesn't matter what the age group is. The same questions keep coming in. And Mm -hmm. I guess that's because people wonder the same kinds of things. Yeah, we do. Yeah, Yeah. the Bible deals with what it means to be a human being. Right, right. Right. And so... um, and so people have the same questions when it comes down to that. Who am I? What's mm-hmm. the meaning of my life? And then the specifics past that. Mm-hmm. So, Well, now, um, Sean, if, I'm sure that people listening also have questions. And as you're sure. listening to the questions that are answered today, if you think of a question that you would like Sean to answer on a future episode of Disclosure, you can send your questions in to BibleQuestions at VOP.com. That's the email address. Um, send those in there and, and your question may just be answered on a future episode. But, you know, Sean, I just have to pause before we get into our questions today. We ta- You mentioned a little bit about the seminar. 
seminar. Right. And I'm sure someone listening right now is wondering, oh, I wish I could take in that seminar. Is that possible? Well, maybe. You know, uh, we, we put them in different locations. I can only do one or two cities a year because it's a pretty big endeavor. We spend a number of weeks in an intensive course mm-hmm. going through all the major themes of Bible prophecy. So I can only do it once or twice in a year. Here in North America, it happens once a year. In 2017, I believe March 10. Uh, we're opening at the Puyallup Fairgrounds in Seattle. So we go up to the okay. Pacific Northwest. So up in Washington yep. State in, in a place where people, people don't tan, they rust there because <laughs> it's wet. It's all, it just never stops raining there. Oh, I love the Pacific but Northwest. You it's know okay. I do. You, yeah. yeah. Well, we're both from there. Yes. But come to Seattle March 10, I believe, at the Puyallup Fairgrounds in 2017. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to a rebroadcast of this in years to come and it's past 2017, do not come down to the Puyallup Fairgrounds. We've already packed up and left. <laughs> right. Um, Denver, Denver, Colorado, uh, just an hour from my own home, mm-hmm. um, in uh, 2018. And we're looking at other cities in 2019, there's something booked. And in 2020, there's something booked and mm-hmm. and, and, and so on. Um, and uh, I think we may be doing one in Eastern Europe here in 2017 as mm-hmm. well. So if you're listening and you live in uh, the eastern part of Czechoslovakia, or the Czech Republic, sorry, we don't call it Czechoslovakia anymore, or you live in the western part of Poland, mm-hmm. uh, there may be one coming there, but no, uh, I exciting. can't say that definitively yeah. yet. That's why I'm learning Polish, by the way. I'm, yes. I walk to work every morning. It's a five-mile walk. It takes an hour and ten minutes or so, hour and five minutes, and I'm learning to speak Polish. And uh, when I get to Poland... For a little visit here coming up, I'm going to try it out on the locals and see how that goes. Do you have a Polish word of the day for us today? Well, I think I already used a Polish word of the day once. was chętnie. It means gladly. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's the sad part. In the Polish course, I've learned how to ask for the usual things. You know, how do you ask for something to eat and something to drink? And the only things I can request so far are wine, beer, and coffee. There's oh, just nothing it's healthy. It's not going to serve you very well. No, no, it's not <laughs> going to serve me very well. But I can ask for wine, beer, or coffee and okay. then just let it sit on the table, I guess. Okay. Um, but a Polish word of the day. We'll come up with one maybe here. At, maybe before, a little later? Yeah, okay. before the program is up. Well, Sean, I want to I wanna mention to those who are listening, if you are interested in one of these seminars, whether it's the ones coming up in 17 or 18, or if this is a rebroadcast and you're listening to us in 2020, go to revelationspeakspeace.com. So that's revelationspeakspeace.com. And there, whatever is happening next, wherever this seminar, uh, Sean is holding it, no matter whether it's in North America or around the world, you can find that information on that website. So be sure to visit that. Absolutely. Now, Bible questions. I know we got to get to those, um, but here's Mm -hmm. how this works at Revelation Speaks Peace. I put the question box out there, but I have rules. You can't just, well, you can put whatever you want in the box, but I have rules as to what, what I'm going to answer. Yeah, as to what sure. I'm going to answer. If you're going to send in a question to BibleQuestions at VOP.com, mm-hmm. go ahead and send it in. But here are the rules. It's got to be a Bible question. This is a Bible show. We want to get the answer from the Bible. Uh, why is your haircut always so bad? Why do you wear such awful suits? Those are not Bible questions. And you don't answer those ones, do no, you? No, no. And, uh, and if you're asking questions about, you know, other books, you know, the writings of church fathers and so on, very interesting but the Bible is is what we're answering Bible questions, okay. and the other one, the other rule is this one: um, no preachy questions. After twenty some years, I've gotten really good at identifying a preachy question. And uh, what do you mean by a preachy well, preachy question. preachy question is this? Sometimes people will put a question in that box that says, "Why do some people do such and such when the Bible says they shouldn't?" Well, uh, you know, yeah, okay, I know what you're doing. You're trying to preach. To, you're trying to get me to preach to your friend in the room. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they're not usually as obvious as that, although surprisingly some people put questions in that are that obvious. Um, I've gotten pretty good at sniffing those out. If I get the feeling that you're trying to preach your agenda to somebody and use this radio show to do it, your question's just not going to end up on the air. Right. I'll okay. answer all honest Bible questions. I'll put okay. it that way. And okay. if they don't seem like they're honest Bible questions, sorry, no, my radio show. Yeah, <laughs> true. You do get the yeah. final word. Yeah, I do. So you, if you listening have a Bible question that fits Sean's rules, uh, be sure to submit it to BibleQuestions yep. at VOP.com. And if they're really hard, the third rule is I'll tell you I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know everything. Yeah. I'm close now. But I don't know everything. Okay. Can yeah. I have that in writing that you don't know everything? I don't I might, know everything. I might need to pull that out yes, of my pocket I want at a future a recipro- date. But I want a reciprocal agreement. <laughs> I want you to put in writing that you don't know everything. Oh, I'll agree to that easily. Not okay. a problem. Okay. <laughs> All right. First question of the day, Sean. Yep. Here is it, it comes. Is it possible that more angels have fallen since the original rebellion in heaven? Yeah, I guess anything is possible. Um but the Bible doesn't record any subsequent rebellion or any subsequent fall. It's not like they left in several waves from the courts of heaven. But let's take it. Let's just have a Bible study. And okay. um, this may take us a little while. We may spend some time on this because it's fascinating. Uh, hopefully we'll get to more questions in this one. But um, And you pause take me. Take your time I know, with this. I know. This is very, very important. I know. Good when question. you need a break, you'll just like reach over and smack me, right? Well, uh, someone in the control room will help me well, with that. A, I won't well, have no, to physically slap you. No, there's you. a there's a pane of glass in between me and the control room, and they can't actually hit me. I'm, folks, you can't see what's going on here, but I've just pushed my chair back far enough that my wife can't actually hit me. I can reach you there. Oh, you just touched me. You're in trouble. Me. Okay. Okay. Is it possible? Let's have a Bible study. Is it possible more angels have fallen since that original fall? Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Um, and the Bible records that approximately one-third of heaven's angels fell in the rebellion. But mm-hmm. you do have to do a little bit of homework to come to that conclusion. So we'll do that homework. Okay. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. Okay. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman. Now, if you're a student of Bible prophecy, you know a woman is a very specific symbol, right? right. A woman represents... The church, God's church, God's people. God's people, mm-hmm. whether it's Israel, the New Testament church. You can look at Jeremiah 6, verse 2 if that's not clear. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're in Revelation 12, 1. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Of course, there are 12 uh, tribes of Israel and 12 disciples. Mm -hmm. A lot of people see this woman as the church, God's people of all time, both Old Testament and New Testament. Clothed with the sun would be the direct light that happened when Jesus came in in person, and others feel that the moon would be reflected light, the Old Testament symbols in the sanctuary and so on that pointed forward to Jesus. But this is God's people, whether their light was looking forward to Jesus or they're living in the full light of Jesus who's come in person. Okay. Okay. Verse 2. Then being with child, here's a woman expecting a child. Mm-hmm. Well, what child would God's people have been expecting? Well, it must have been a reference to the Messiah, Absolutely. to Jesus coming. Outside yes. of the gates of Eden, God's people were told, Adam and Eve were told, Messiah will come. Right. There will be a baby who comes. Right. She cried out in labor and pain to give birth in verse 2. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy to be God's people and wait for his plan to unfold. There is pain. There is labor. There is patience that's required. So we have this picture of God's people waiting for Jesus to come, waiting for Messiah to come. Now verse 3. Okay, and then this is Revelation 12, verse 3. Well, Mm -hmm. you should almost do a reading Revelation episode out of this. Mm -hmm. Another sign appeared in heaven. So you got this woman, God's people. Verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Well, if you compare that to Revelation 13, there's this beast power with seven heads, ten horns. 
uh, seven crowns. Daniel 7, if you count all the heads in that chapter, seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns. It, it's, it, it, it's a match. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but who is this dragon? Mm-hmm. If you go and look at verse 9 in Revelation chapter 12, it tells you specifically the dragon is the old serpent, the devil, called Satan. Satan. Right. So this dragon is Satan. Okay. Verse 4, here comes the big moment. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour the child as soon as it was born. So the devil wants to destroy Jesus when he comes. We know that, you know, there were attempts through Herod, the religious authorities, the Romans, and so on. But here's the important part. This dragon, the devil, takes a third of heaven's stars out. Mm -hmm. And stars are an important symbol in the Bible. They're a picture of angels. Job 38 describes the angels singing at creation when the morning stars sang together. Revelation 1 verse 20, the seven stars it says that John saw in that chapter are the angels of the seven churches. Stars are a prophetic symbol often. For angels. And it says that the dragon took one-third of the stars of heaven, the angels, and threw them down to the earth. One-third of the angels fall out. So that's the original proportion, the original number. Okay. Oh, I hear the music. That means i got to be quiet. We're going to have to pick up this Bible study <laughs> after a break, right? We will. But you are answering um, our first question, Sean, which is, is it possible that more angels have fallen since the original rebellion? We've got most of your answer, I think, but I want to circle back to that. But just now we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Disclosure, brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy. I'm your host for today, Jean Boonstra. And when we come back, Sean will continue answering this question for us. And hopefully we'll get to a few more yet today, too. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Would you like to make a tangible difference for the kingdom of God? Well, now is your chance. As a Voice of Prophecy sponsor, you can be the first to learn about our newest ministry projects and to hear about lives radically transformed by your support of these life-transforming projects. Sponsors are an integral part of this ministry's success and the reason we can continue to impact lives for Christ. Come spend the weekend with us at one of our fall sponsorship weekends and see just what your support can do. You will hear moving testimonies of lives changed, beautiful music, and inspirational preaching. And most of all, you will have the satisfaction of directly helping to change lives through your support. Find out today how you can become a sponsor and join us at one of these weekends. Call 1-800-429-5700 or visit us at VOPsponsors.com. Welcome back to Disclosure. I'm Jean Boonstra, your host for today, and my guest is actually your regular host, and that is Sean Boonstra, my husband. So, Sean, we are tackling some questions that have come in to you over the years at live seminars you've done, seminars called Revelation Speaks Peace. I save all those questions. I've got them in a giant envelope. Yes, you do. Yes. And the first question here that we've been tackling is... Is it possible that more angels have fallen since the original rebellion? And you, before the break, took us through Revelation uh, chapter 12, where we saw that um, 
the dragon, which you said was a symbol of Satan, his tail well, I did, drew. I, did, I didn't well, say Bible that. Well, the Bible says. Revelation 12 <laughs> verse 9 tells us. Always right. go to the scriptures for that. Well, you explained. So his tail, this being Satan, drew a third of the stars of heaven and yep. threw them to earth. And as we studied out, stars are a symbol in the Bible of angels. Sure. You can find that in Job 38 verse 7. Uh, you can find that in Revelation 1, verse 20, stars. So we've got a third of the angels who come out of heaven. Now, when right. you look at how many angels are left, the Bible defines them in, uh, oh, in the book of Daniel, I think, in chapter 7 and so on, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 10 times 1,000 times 10,000 would be 100 million. Mm-hmm. Thousands might be additions or they might be multipliers. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, there's 100 million left over. This could be, at the very smallest, this could be 50 million angels departing from heaven. It's a wow. huge rebellion. Yeah. But that's it. I mean, okay. the question is, is, is there a second wave? Do more leave later? Do they trickle out right. after that? No. Right. It seems that okay. we've got two camps. We've got those who stay and those who leave, and it happens once. There's no record of subsequent uh, angels leaving heaven. Okay. But, but, and, and here's where the question becomes interesting. There does appear to be more than one phase to this fall from heaven. It does seem to happen in two steps, even though it's one group that leaves initially and goes through two stages of being cast out. Two stages of that original rebellion. Yeah, being cast out, right? Okay. We have the first rebellion, which takes place when Lucifer falls in love with himself in heaven, right? He wants the throne of God for himself. Ezekiel chapter 28. God is talking to Lucifer. Okay. You were the anointed cherub who covers. That's the angel who stands right next to the throne of God, the anointed cherub. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. There you go. Lucifer being cast out of heaven, out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Isaiah 14 describes the fall of Lucifer. He wants the throne of God, so he's cast out. Yes. Okay, so we have Lucifer who's cast out, removed from the mountain of God. Okay, so that's phase one. That's phase one. Okay. But here's something very interesting. When you go to the book of Job in Job chapter 1, there is this heavenly council that meets. And it says, all the sons of God appear in the presence of God and, and have this meeting. And if you read it carefully, it would appear that Lucifer shows up at that meeting trying to stand in Adam's place. Adam is described in the Bible as a son of God. He's created by God directly. But he gives authority. You know, Adam is created with dominion over earth, but he essentially hands the keys to the devil. Says, here you go. You, you run the planet. He falls for it, and the devil claims the planet as his own. The Bible calls him the prince of this world. He tries to offer Jesus the planet back in exchange for worship. The Bible indicates Lucifer believes the planet is his. So he shows up in the very council of God in Job chapter 1, okay. verse 7. Mm-hmm. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, he's not saying, hey, I went for a stroll on that nice blue planet down there. Right. What, I, what, what he's saying is he owns it. Mm-hmm. You know, walking on something is a statement of ownership. Mm-hmm. God told Abraham, take a walk through the land. Everything your foot touches is going to belong to you. Yes. Satan says, oh, you want to know where I was? You so, want to know who I am, so, why I'm here? So he's establishing his authority yeah. in his it's mind mine. over the earth. Says, mm-hmm. I, I just came from that planet that uh, your people gave to me, Lord. Right, right. Um, I don't know if he calls him Lord, but verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, 
Have you considered my servant Job? Not so fast, Satan. There's someone who has not followed you or given authority to you. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Mm. So here he is. He's in the presence of God. It would appear that at this stage, Lucifer is still allowed to show up at this council. Right. Well, why? Well, it would seem that in this great rebellion, God had a choice to make. He could have wiped out Lucifer right away. You know, and as a little kid, after a spanking, I would think to myself, why didn't God just wipe out Lucifer right away? Then he wouldn't have been around to tempt me, and I wouldn't have gotten this spanking. <laughs> and I would think about that all the time. Why didn't God just wipe all the... But Lucifer had been insinuating in heaven that he belonged on the throne, and God didn't. He was questioning the character of God. So if you're questioning somebody's character and they suddenly kill you, what's the first thought everybody gets? Yeah, the fear. Oh, there must fear. be something to this. Yes. God was afraid. Right. Right? If if my brother Kevin came into the house and said, you know what dad does, and I don't like dad for this, that, and the other thing, and suddenly dad takes him out back, shoots him, and buries him in the garden, hmm. I'm thinking there might be something wrong with dad. <laughs> right. Right. And you would be afraid of your father after that. Yeah. Yeah. So what God does, he allows Lucifer enough leash to go out and live out his program and actually show himself for what he is to the whole universe. Okay. We can all watch. Here's where rebellion takes you. Here's what Lucifer's character is like. That's the path that God chose. Now, angels could see what Lucifer was made of when it comes to the cross of Christ. There's his character on full display. He's willing to murder God's own son, mm-hmm. right? And there's a shift, it seems, in heaven. Um, it would appear that Lucifer at that point, after the cross, is no longer allowed in the heavenly council. He's not allowed to show up in that place because the angels of heaven are finished with him saying, you know what, we've seen enough. Mm-hmm. It's conclusive to us that he is a problem and we don't want him around anymore. Okay, back to Revelation 12. I want you to watch this carefully, Gene, because some people definitely see two phases here. Okay. Okay, verse 7. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon, that's Satan, was Mm -hmm. cast out, that serpent of old, here's the proof, called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So he comes to this earth, and he shows up in that original council in heaven as the representative of earth. Mm -hmm. This is the original rebellion, but now there seems to be this decisive turning point. Jesus in John chapter 12 ties a final casting out of the devil to his cross. He says in verse 31 of John 12, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. When? Verse 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So it's talking about the cross here. So that's the second phase where this seems to be finalized. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. See, the cross shows us Jesus' character. God is, uh, you know, Jesus is God in human flesh. It shows us what God the Father is actually like. Mm -hmm. But the cross also shows what the devil is made of and what he's willing to do. It also shows what we're willing to do if we're following the great dragon. So there seems to be this final casting out. And and this is in Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. There's the devil mm-hmm. who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Well, how's he been? He's already been cast out. So why is it saying he's now cast, cast down? down? Right. Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Mm. So Jesus, Jesus has already given his life yeah. and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. 
Therefore, Revelation 12, 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So no longer in the heavenly council, but he's still active here on earth because you and I have not made up our minds. The human race is still toying with the devil's agenda. Angels are finished. At the cross, they said, enough. He's not even allowed in the heavenly council anymore. He's not allowed to show up here at these meetings. But here on earth, we're still making up our minds. Eventually, we're going to come to the same conclusion, I'm convinced of it. Okay. All right. Well, good. That was a lot of answer for a a, a question. Yeah, Um, but very, very interesting to understand it fully. Was it a trickle process? No. One removal from heaven and then access to wherever that council meeting was held is cut off ultimately at the cross of Christ, Mm -hmm. leaving just the human race to make up its mind. Mm -hmm. So now the decision is ours to make. Yes. All right. Another question from the Revelation Speaks Peace question box, Sean. Okay. It says, in Ezekiel, why was Lucifer referred to as the king of Tyre? How are they related? Oh, boy. It's Lucifer Day. It's Lucifer (laughs) Day at Disclosure. It's Hmm. like, boy, it's going to get kind of dark around here if all we talk about is the devil. Um, But it's a good question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get started on it because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get off to the races on this question and you're going to point at me and say break time. But you go ahead and get started. Well, in the Bible and in Bible prophecy in particular, there's something that Bible scholars will call a type. Well, Mm -hmm. what's a type? Mm -hmm. A type is really just a symbol. Uh, Let's say an airplane ticket. An airplane ticket. This is a horrible example, but I'm just drawing this out of my mind. Okay. An airplane ticket isn't really a plane ride. You pay, you know, $400 to go on a plane ride, and what do you get? You get a boarding pass. Well, you can't sit on that boarding pass and go anywhere. Mm. That boarding pass is a symbol of the actual plane ride. And when the day of your departure comes, you go to the gate, you exchange that symbol for the actual for the real thing. thing. Yeah. A type is like that boarding pass. Okay. A type is a symbol that points forward to something else. So, for example, all through the Bible, a lamb is a powerful type. A lamb is a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't really a lamb. We call, uh, you see, what God does in the Bible is he uses something from people's everyday experience. Mm-hmm. You, you see this in the parables. Jesus draws stuff out of their work day and out of their home life to help them understand a heavenly concept. A type is a symbol that God pulls from everyday experience and uses it to point forward to who Jesus is. So even before Jesus is born, Back in the Old Testament, people could anticipate what Messiah would be like and what Messiah would do for them. And so Jesus is compared to a lamb. A lamb is the type. You would call Jesus the anti-type. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. It's the fulfillment, the one who takes the place of the type. He's not against it. It's anti as standing in the place of. So the symbol is called a type, Mm -hmm. and Jesus would be the anti-type, or the fulfillment. Which is the fulfillment of. So a lamb is a type. Okay. Jesus is an Mm -hmm. anti-type. Everything in the Old Testament, almost everything in that sanctuary was a type. The candlesticks pointed forward to Jesus, the light of the world. It was a type of Christ. The showbread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you even have people who are types, and uh, and we could probably spend time on that. Um, But type, here's the big concept. The king of Tyre is a type, and we're going to look at that in a little bit of detail, but I see you starting to... Wave at me and say, maybe there's not time before the break to do that. There, 
there Could isn't. Give, let's there isn't. let's pause. Okay. So we were you just started to answer the question in Ezekiel, the book uh, Ezekiel. Why was Lucifer referred to as the King of Tyre? So you've just started to lay right. the background for us King and of, explained yep. the types. So Sean, we are going to have to take a break because we are at the bottom of our program, which means we've spent a half hour on this program answering questions from Sean's live seminars, Revelation Speaks Peace. And we're going to come back after this break and and finish up. Um, For you listening, you can follow us online as well at vop.com slash disclosure. There you can find this program in its entirety and all of our programs. And I'm your host today. I'm Jean Boonstra. You've been listening to Disclosure by the Voice of Prophecy. Stay with us. After this break, we're going to come right back. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, Where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. At The Voice of Prophecy, we are committed to sharing the good news through our worldwide Bible school, our live seminars, and programs like the one you're listening to. And none of this would be possible without our faithful supporters and sponsors. Each fall, we host our sponsors at one of our three sponsorship weekends. To learn more about how you can become a sponsor, call us at 1-800-429-5700 or online at vopsponsors.com. Welcome back to Disclosure. Disclosure is the flagship program brought to you by The Voice of Prophecy. I'm Jean Boonstra. I am your host today, and my guest is not really a guest. He is the regular host of the program, my husband, Sean Boonstra. So, Sean, we have been answering some questions that you have received over the years at the seminar, Revelation Speaks Peace, that you have held, oh, across the world. I can't even keep track of the number of places you've held that seminar over the last 20 plus years. But the question you were partway into answering when I forced you to take a break and I want you to finish is this one that someone submitted to you. In Ezekiel, why was Lucifer referred to as the king of Tyre? How are they related? Right. Well, the king of Tyre is a type, and we were explaining types right before the break. Mm -hmm. And there are symbols like lambs, candlesticks, the furniture in the sanctuary. Those are types of Jesus, but people can be types as well. Okay. So Joseph in the Old Testament, he's a type of Christ, uh, a symbol that points forward to him. Christ would be the, Jesus would be the anti-type. Mm-hmm. He's, a ty- he's a special child, Joseph. He's favored by his father. Mm-hmm. He's dressed in a robe of many colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we read in the New Testament about the manifold grace of God. That original word manifold means many colored. Oh, grace of God. There's so many angles to it. Yeah. Um, he's given up for dead by his brothers, but then he lives again and saves his whole family. It's pretty clear that he's pointing forward uh, to Jesus. Boaz, right? Ruth's husband. He's a right. type of Christ. He's a kinsman redeemer. He's a redeemer, yeah. yeah. Steps mm-hmm. in and saves a girl who has no heir. She has no land. She has no future. She's dispossessed, so he marries her and brings her into his family, and then the process happens to become one of the great, 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 great granddaddies to Jesus himself. But Jesus in the New Testament is the groom, and the church is the bride. We're the ones who lost our inheritance, this planet, because we caved into sin, and he redeems it back for us. So Boaz is it. Cyrus is a type of Christ, the Persian general who liberates God's people from Babylon. He sends them back to the promised land. Uh, Isaiah 44 and 45 actually calls Cyrus God's anointed, Mashiach. Mm-hmm. It tells us, hey, this is pointing forward. This life, examine this. It'll teach you something about the real Mashiach, the real Messiah, Messiah. who's yeah. coming. So the same is true for the king of Tyre. See, if this passage in Ezekiel 28 is about the literal king of Tyre, then it's hard to make any sense out of it. So let's look at the passage. Okay. Where are we? Ezekiel 28, 28 and verse, verse 12. Verse 12. Okay. Ezekiel 28. Son of man. Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. So there he's mentioned. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now you tell me, would that be true for any actual human being? No, none none of us are perfect in beauty. Seal of perfection. Well, you come come close. You come close to the seal of perfection. Definitely not. Yeah. Wasn't true of the king of Tyre. Verse 13 gives away that we're not really talking about an earthly king. Mm-hmm. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Mm. Well, the well, king of Tyre couldn't no. have been is, in Eden. This is thousands of years later this sure. book is being written. No, he wasn't there. But Satan was in the garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise. Oh, we got to do a study sometime on sapphire and what that means. But anyway, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workman of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were, here comes verse 14, the anointed cherub who covers. Oh, well, that certainly was not a man. No, no, not the no. king of, you know, right. what's the anointed cherub who covers? Mm-hmm. The Ark of the Covenant had two angels on the lid called the covering cherubs. That Ark was a symbol of God's throne. God said in Exodus 25 to Moses, I will commune with you from between the cherubim above the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. It's a symbol of his throne. Lucifer at one point stood right next to God's throne, one of the most exalted positions in heaven. Uh, Verse 14 again, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God, Mm. Zion, his his throne room. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Fire is a symbol of the presence of God. This is talking about someone who actually walked in the presence of God on the mountain of God by the throne of God. That could not not, be the actual king of Tyre then. So here's what's going on. God is speaking to people through Ezekiel, and he's using something they know. The actual king of Tyre, who was a bit of a rotter. Okay. Right? And they're looking at his personality traits, and they say, you want to know what Lucifer's like? He's like the king of Tyre. Mm-hmm. Look at the king of Tyre, and this is a good object lesson in what Lucifer is actually like. Um, and it's entirely possible king of Tyre is probably even inspired by Lucifer to behave like that, and Lucifer's character traits are coming through him. Okay. But it is... Symbolic, symbolic, right? It's using something people knew well to help them understand something they can't actually see. Okay, so it's an example of a type yep. helping us to understand yep. something. Yep. Okay, good. All right, I have another question for you, Sean. From I'm the too question tired. Box. I'm too tired for any more questions. Oh, the show's almost keep over, going. isn't it? No, we're more than halfway through. Okay, let's do another one. So, uh, you listening, remember if you are are 
are inspired to send Sean a question that you would like to hear answered on the air at some point in a future episode, BibleQuestions at VOP.com is where you can submit your questions. All right, the next one. How, Sean, how can you explain Matthew 16, verse 28, Mark 9, verse 1, and Luke 9, 27? Well, that's a pretty open-ended question. That's huge. Are those... Oh, I know what it's driving at. I know what it's driving at. Are those parallel passages, since those are all Gospels? Yeah, yeah, they're all parallel passages. So why don't we go and look at the one from Matthew? That's pretty open-ended. How can you explain... You you give a preacher a question like that, and he'll go on for days. I won't let you, you know, go on for days. We can explain nope. three words for days on end. <laughs> but let's look. I think I know where this is driving because this one comes in a lot. Okay. Matthew sixteen twenty eight. Jesus says to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay. So he's speaking to his original disciples, and some of you aren't going to die before the second coming. Okay. So this is this is where? Is this that the transfiguration? Well, don't jump ahead of me. Oh, I'm sorry. Do not. Oh, you're stealing my thunder. <laughs> you are stealing my thunder. No. Here, you're right, but a lot of people look at this verse and say that looks like a false prophecy. Jesus spoke those words to those disciples. They've been dead now for 2,000 years, and uh, the second coming hasn't happened. Jesus got it wrong. Right, John was the last to go. He died shortly before the end of the first century. They're all dead. Jesus got it wrong. Okay, so how do we explain it? Well, you already gave it away, didn't oh, you? Yeah, yeah transfiguration. Well. Okay, here's how it works. you got to remember when you're reading your Bible that the original manuscripts didn't have chapters or verses, little marks in it to tell you where you are in the passage. Um, we didn't get chapter divisions in the Bible till the 1200s when Stephen Langdon, the Archbishop of Canterbury, started adding chapter divisions to make it easier to find stuff in the Bible. Okay, not until the 1200s. Not until the 1200s. Before okay. that, I mean, there weren't even spaces between the words in some of the manuscripts. Yeah. Um, the Wycliffe Bible of 13, or Wycliffe, depending on how you choose to say it, 1382 had those divisions in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Verses were added in the 1400s. Uh, by Mordecai Nathan, who was a Jewish rabbi, but um, those didn't really take. The verses that we have now were put in place in the mid-16th century, the mid-1500s, by Robert Etienne. Okay. Uh, the British would call him Robert Stevens. Right. Stevens is, uh, this is a French name, French Robert version Etienne. of Stevens. Right. Mm-hmm. And he put in verse divisions. So we had chapter divisions in the 1200s. You don't get verses for another 300 years. Okay. And those ended up in the Geneva Bible and then in the King James Bible, and we're still using that system by and large today. But they so weren't those, there. So they weren't. So the chapter and the verse specific divisions did not actually show up until the Geneva Bible. So that's pretty recent history, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is. Very it is. Aren't you glad that you've got it now? Because we can find things quickly. It helps us when we're studying. Right. Yes. But they were there. Now the problem with all of this is that those chapters and verses are not originally inspired. They were added by people, sort of trying to break it into you know, reasonable components or sections that made sense. Yeah. But what happens, you get into trouble with a verse like Matthew sixteen twenty eight, where Jesus says, "You some of you won't die until you see the second coming. The problem arises because people get to the end of 16 and they stop reading. Ah, and Matthew okay. 17 has the answer. If there were no chapters and verses, you would just keep reading and you would find you would the find answer. find it automatically. And it is, yeah. okay. as you pointed out, the transfiguration on the mount. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Verse 1. Of Matthew 17. Remember that division, chapter division wasn't there. So Jesus said, some of you won't die until you see me coming again in my glory, in my kingdom. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother. That's just some of the disciples. It's 25%. Just like he said, some of you won't die. He's taking some of them. Okay. Led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, 
Sean like the sun, I hear some people say. Mm -hmm. But Sean sounds like my name. Mm -hmm. Sean like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light. So what's just happened to Jesus? He's suddenly in a very glorious appearance, and now he looks more like he does in the book of Revelation than he does in the four Gospels. Right. 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 He's brilliant. His face is shining like the sun. Different from how they've ever seen him look. Right. Right. And we know that when Jesus returns, he returns in glory, with Mm -hmm. the glory of the Father and all the holy angels with him, the Bible says. It's going to be this tumultuous event. It's brilliant. It's glorious. So now he looks like he will when he does come into his kingdom. Verse 3, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Wait a minute. Now, who were Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses is a faithful follower of God who died on Mount Nebo. Mm -hmm. But he's going to be okay in the second coming. We've got Elijah who's caught straight up to be with Jesus. He never tastes death. He's just caught up in a fiery chariot. So what do we have here? We have a picture of the second coming. Here's Jesus in all of his glory. And 1 Thessalonians 4 says that when Jesus comes, there's a loud shout and the graves open. Mm -hmm. The righteous dead come back to life and those who are alive are caught straight up into heaven without tasting death. Moses and Elijah represent those two groups. He's taken some of his disciples and he's given them a tiny preview of what the second coming is going to be like. like. So he said, some of you are not going to die till you see me in my kingdom. And he just showed them. He just showed them. Okay. So he didn't get it wrong. Jesus never gets it wrong. Get rid of chapters and verses. Read the whole, always read the whole book. Well, this, this question really is a great example of how when we are studying and we hit a verse or a paragraph in the scriptures and it maybe causes us to pause and think, hmm, I don't quite understand that. Very often, if we just keep reading, we'll find the answer right there in the very chapter, the next chapter. Right. Well, you know, one practice that I get involved in is that I keep a notebook on the desk. And every so often, when you come across something in the Bible that you don't understand, I write it down in the notebook. Yeah. And, And that notebook gets pretty long sometimes. I might be a preacher. But there are passages that I find hard to wrangle, Mm -hmm. and I write them down. And what happens is it might be five years from now, and suddenly I'll be reading a passage somewhere else in the Bible that answers the question I wrote down. I go, oh, Uh it was always in there. Yes. So it's a good habit to write it down and always... People say, what's the best secret to reading the Bible and good Bible study? It's read the whole book. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of work, Sean. I know it's a lot of work, but do it. Read the whole book. It suddenly makes sense if you read the whole book. Well, and I think it's a good good principle of Bible study that you just described. When you find those troubling passages, you don't just gloss over them. You write it down and you make a note of it so that you can go back to and eventually find the answer to it because that's... You know, that's the purpose of studying the scriptures is to understand them. And then pray over those questions. You say, Lord, I don't understand this. I really don't get this. And God will say one of two things. Well, you're not ready to understand that yet. There's a few other principles you need to learn along the way before that's going to make sense. Or he's just going to say, keep reading. I'll show you. Yeah. And he shows you right on the spot. Here's one thing. Over the years, I've never been disappointed. God has answered almost every question. Some questions... He's going to answer when we get to the kingdom. The book Mm -hmm. of Revelation says that he wipes away every tear after we get there. Mm -hmm. There are some of life's most troubling questions that we may not get the answer to until it's time. And we're going to have to trust. But when it comes to Bible study, write those questions down. You'll be remarkably surprised at how often the answer presents itself if you just keep reading and read diligently. Read the whole book. It's the best way to study the Bible. Mm -hmm. Best way to study the Bible. Yeah, there are no shortcuts. Read the whole book. 
book. Right. So right. no chapters or verses. The answer to Revela- uh, to Matthew 16 is to keep reading Matthew 17. That's the answer <laughs> to that question. And that's, and that's a good biblical principle. Keep reading and dig for those scriptures, just like the faithful Bereans. Study to understand and to know God. And Sean, we are up against another little break, yep. and we're going to take that break. And when we come back, I want to give you at least one more question. Okay, one more question. Out of the question box from Revelation Speaks Peace. So if you're listening and you're thinking of a question, you can submit that for a future episode. BibleQuestions at VOP.com is the email address to submit your questions. Stay with us. I'm Jean Boonstra, and we will be right back after this short break. Do you believe midnight is approaching? I don't mean the hands on the clock, but the time, prophetically speaking. At The Voice of Prophecy, we believe midnight approaches. And we also believe God has called us to work tirelessly to spread the message of His love and salvation before midnight. But we can't do this work without a partnership with you, our faithful supporters and sponsors. Sponsors are an integral part of our family, and each fall we gather in three locations across the United States to fellowship together at a relaxing Sponsorship Weekend. Sponsorship Weekends are full of beautiful music, inspirational preaching, and delicious food, all set in a relaxing environment. Find out how you can become a sponsor and join us at one of these inspirational weekends. Give us a call at 1-800-429-5700 or visit us online at VOPSponsors.com. Welcome back. You've been listening to Disclosure. I'm Jean Boonstra, your host today, and my guest is Sean Boonstra, my husband, pastor, speaker, director of Voice of Prophecy, the ministry that brings Wait a you minute. Disclosure. Did you, did you just say I was your pastor? I guess you are my pastor, sort of, but you are a pastor. I'm a pastor. Okay. <laughs> yes. And, uh, Sean, you are the regular host here of Disclosure. Or but the today, irregular host. Some people would define me as more irregular. That's probably a better fit. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, We're just sitting here in studio discussing the Bible, and that's... Uh, we are. You and I both do that, so... And we are looking at some questions that have come into you over the years yep. at seminars you've done. In, These right are in the real question questions box. from real people. They are. And I, I want to ask you this next one. It's uh, It's... It's a good one. Someone with a big heart, I think, asked you this one, and it is this, Sean. Why should there be copyrights on Bibles and religious books? Wouldn't it be nice if it was copied and distributed to many people, even if no money was made by the distributors? The main idea is to spread the word, isn't it? Yeah, good question. Not really a Bible question. It's almost outside of the rules. Remember, the rules are we're going to answer questions about the content of the Bible. However, however, this is kind of a Bible question anyway, because it's asking about the Bible itself. And I think this one's important. Okay. Um, And I agree. Boy, it would be really nice if Bibles were free. Boy, that would be nice. Let's just make them all free. There's 7 billion people on earth. I need 7 billion free Bibles. That Mm -hmm. would be awesome. Yeah, it would be great. I I agree completely with the sentiment. It's Mm -hmm. just not real. It's not real. Look, the people who translate the Bible spend hundreds of thousands of hours doing it. And there's usually an outlay of millions of dollars for somebody to translate the Bible 
into a given language. And it would be very nice to expect people to do that for free, but the Bible speaks very loudly against slavery, right? So who's going <laughs> right. to do that for free and not be able to feed themselves or their kids for all those years? It's just not real. And right. frankly, it's not biblical to expect people to do that for nothing. Okay. There's a passage in First Timothy where Paul spends time talking about how the church ought to be structured, and he makes this statement in First Timothy 5, verse 18. Paul writes, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. In other words, let it eat some of the grain as it's working. Mm -hmm. And he says the laborer is worthy of his wages. In other words, we're expected to pay people for the work they do, even if it is religious work Mm -hmm. in the church. That's why if you go to church, you do support your pastor so that your pastor can do full-time ministry. Um, And so it's not we can't expect a team of hundreds of translators to work for five years for free they're entitled to earn a living and, and, and support their families as well. Mm-hmm. Here's another statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? In other words, the priests got a portion of the offerings to feed their families. Yes. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. All right. So if nobody paid anybody to do the work of Bible translation, it would never happen. That's just reality. And if nobody ever pays for it, um, well, maybe you could still turn out a few Bibles, but then how are you going to decide out of 7 billion people, who's going to get the 100 Bibles you were able to produce? Right. Right. Well, and beyond the translation, there's the printing and the paper and the binding and the shipping and all those details. Here's Mm -hmm. the good news. You and I can make the Bible available to somebody else for free. There's no... We we give away... Uh, thousands and thousands of Bibles each year, right? Mm-hmm. Every time I do Revelation Speaks Peace, I give out Bibles. I give out a lot of Bibles, but there's a limit to what I can do. I'm not independently wealthy, but here's what we could all do together. If you're listening to this and you would like the Bible to be free to somebody, well, I could put a Bible in somebody's hands, and a nice one for anywhere from about 5 to $7. So, look, send in $10, say this is for Bibles, and I'll earmark it for Bibles, and I'll make sure somebody gets one. Yeah. Better yet, better yet, um, we're right now trying to acquire Bibles in the Inuktitut language. The Bible Society has translated those. I can get those for $20 a piece. We've been working in the Arctic, um, and there's a desperate need up there for Bibles in their own language. This is the Mm -hmm. Eastern Arctic over by Greenland, and Mm -hmm. and we've mentioned this a few times on the air. Those people don't have a copy of the Bible, Old and New Testament, the whole Bible in their own language, and I'd like to make that available. I'm involved in a program, Mm -hmm. and there's a limit to what I can do, but, you know, $20. If you send in $20 and say this is for Arctic Bibles... I'll make sure somebody gets a Bible. Absolutely. You could give $100. $100 would give five families a Bible in their own language. And so yeah. the answer to how to distribute this Bible to people freely is that believers need to step up and make it happen. Yes. Amen. That's how that happens. Well, you know, Sean, earlier in the program we were talking about, um, in a different way, we were talking about when the chapter designations and the verse designations right. came into the scriptures. And it was um, in the Geneva Bible that, the Bible started to look the way our our Bibles look today. And I thought, oh, well, that's recent history. Well, you know, the Inuktitut Bible, that's only been available just a few years. Oh, that's right. It really is. This is is brand new. Brand new. We have an opportunity to get the Word of God somewhere where it really hasn't been widely available. And so, hey, this let me turn it into an appeal. Please help out. Send in 20 bucks for a Bible. Send in 100 bucks for five Bibles. Market Arctic Bibles. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, And we'll make sure somebody gets a Bible because you are faithful. Yes. Amen. Okay. okay. Good. All right. Another question out of the question box says, does Bible prophecy address environmental issues? 
Good yeah, question. Good question. In this day and age, environmental issues are hot. Does the Bible address the issue? Well, only incidentally or indirectly. Um, and, uh, and Well, here's what we do know. Here, here's what the Bible says about the environment. You have to go for the principles and read the whole book again. This world that we live in is not the world as the way God planned it. It's just not. He created a world that was perfect. He stood back at the end of creation and said, it is very good. Very few people would stand back now and look at this earth and say, it is very good. But in the beginning, it was without disease. It didn't have pollution. It didn't have a lot of the environmental issues that we look at today. Mm -hmm. After God made the perfect world, he puts human beings in charge of taking care of it. Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Okay, you're the caretaker of this world. Then Genesis 1 and verse 26 tells us that we were actually given authority over the planet. We're not just the gardener. We're given dominion. That's the language. Genesis one twenty six. God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them, man and woman, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing. Verse 28. God blessed them, the human beings, said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he puts us in the garden, and he says, but look, I, I made you this beautiful little home, this perfect garden, but take a look over the wall of the garden. You'll notice the rest of the planet's not finished. You get to make a garden out of the rest of the planet. Go out there and subdue it and have dominion over it. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people have taken Christians to task because of this word dominion. And Christians have been blamed for environmental issues because of this concept that God put this earth under our control. Mm -hmm. um, and they say, well, you guys use that as an excuse to go out and strip mine and clear cut as if you own the planet. I'm not sure why they zero in on Christians, but, you know, Christians have been targeted forever for everything. But you guys are going to go strip mine and clear cut the planet like you own the place. That's your dominion okay. mentality. So basically saying that that role was misused and that we well, abuse that, it to that, that, take advantage yeah, of that, that's right we were put in charge resources. we were yeah. given stewardship be the gardeners but it, god never said go do whatever you want with it it's, no. it's still right. mine right right next principle luke 4 the devil claims to own this planet mm -hmm. in luke 4 verse 6 you know we gave it to him as we sinned and he claims with Jesus, look, if you bow down and worship me in Luke 4, verse 6, I'll give you back this planet. He claims that he owns it. Now, the reason the planet's in trouble is we took advice from someone who took over the planet. Mm -hmm. We took advice from this fallen angel, and he's trying to destroy it. And we're destroying it along with him. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Something is wrong in this world. No question about it. You know, when I walk along a beach on a remote island somewhere and I see garbage washing up from a continent on the other side... Mm -hmm. That's not right. That's not what we were told to do with this thing. Look, the Bible teaches about stewardship. The Bible says you don't own your body. God owns it, and he expects you to take the best care you can of it because it's his property. The same would apply to this planet. It's not really ours. We were given stewardship or dominion. We're caretakers, but it's not ours to trash. Mm -hmm. So is there something wrong? Yes, there is. Should we be responsible for keeping this world the best we can? Yes, we should. Now, there is one more cryptic reference that I'm going to bring up, not because I really think it applies to environmental issues, but because people bring this up all the time, so I'll just point it out. Okay. In Revelation 11, verse 18, it says, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and then it ends like this, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Aha, okay. some people say, God's going to come back and destroy people who polluted the earth. 
Well, the, the fact is, every human being alive is responsible to some extent for the pain and suffering and damage in this world. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a stretch to apply this to the environmental issue, but I'll just bring it out because some people see it there. I'm not convinced. Okay. Right. Okay. So it has a broader application yeah. than just uh, damage done yeah. to the earth. Okay. Now, let, let me raise one more issue really quickly. Okay. Uh, there's one reason. You know, people often say, well, why aren't Christians out there joining the bandwagon with environmental lobby groups and so on and protesting in the streets and observing Earth Day and so on? Well, one of the key reasons that some Christians become reticent to do that is because of the subtle pantheism, the worship of Gaia, Mother Earth. It seems to go hand in hand with that movement. The okay. Earth ends up being deified. Mm. Right? It becomes your god, mm-hmm. or your goddess is usually the language. And so it smacks of paganism to a lot of Christians. So they're a little bit shy of the environmental movement at large. Um, they, they feel like they're living in ancient Rome, where, yeah, we want to take good care of the planet, but that movement in particular is kind of... Mm, it looks like Romans one twenty five, mm-hmm. where God says the human race exchanged the truth for a lie and began to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So it, it it feels like then the creation, which is our world, is elevated and that the creator of this beautiful place where we live is yeah. is not is not seen and, and the worship is directed right. in the wrong way. They yeah. see the environmental movement as a movement that doesn't include the creator at all. Where mm-hmm. the Christian response to this world ought to be, look, yes, we need to take good care of this. No, we don't have a license to do whatever we want with God's property. I don't have a license to throw, you know, my uh, my water bottles out of the car window as I'm driving down the freeway. I don't have right. a license to do whatever I want. But the reason that I want to take care of this world is because I know the Creator, I love the Creator, I want to fear and worship the Creator. And But I, I myself, I get uncomfortable when I see the, you know, the Earth Day parades where it seems to be deifying the Earth itself, and mm-hmm. it's Gaia Mother Earth and uh, and all of that stuff. And so Christians aren't anti-environmental, but we are a little squeamish when it comes up to comes to some of the ways that people do uh, make the case for environmental okay. uh, responsibility. So the scriptures aren't explicit either way, really, on, on well, whether we should. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Principles okay. are absolutely there. It's not ours. Take good care of it. No, you can't pour dioxin into the river. Right, yeah. right. God created this place as our home for yeah. us. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's a good enough reason for me to take good care of it. Well, Sean, we have, I didn't count uh, them. We got through a questions. couple of yeah, questions. We there have, are stacks of them here. There are. But I hope that those of you listening are enjoying this question and answer type of program. We've done a couple of them. And if you have questions that have come to mind that you would like to submit and have answered potentially on a future episode, you can submit those to the email address biblequestions at vop.com. And don't forget, each and every one of our disclosure episodes is available on our website site vop like voice of prophecy vop.com slash disclosure or just go to our homepage and click the watch and listen tab and each of our episodes are there well thank you for listening um sean i've enjoyed this time to dialogue about the questions that you get at your live seminars and i know that we'll do this again i'm jean boonstra you have been listening to disclosure